So, uh, it is a good thing, right? Thank God for that. All right, we are in, we are going to skim First Peter 5. We're really going to jump all the way down to verse 6 um, because we need to get out of First Peter. We need to get into Second Peter um, for time's sake. But before we do that, I'd like to go to God, please, in a, in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, hallowed be your great and amazing name. We surrender to you. And we're thankful for your word that teaches us to surrender. It teaches us humility. And gives us strength. And Lord God, though we don't always understand the things, the actions that you would ask for us to participate in, we thank you for the wisdom and knowledge. Help us to be able to humble ourselves under your mighty hand and to serve you with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray and thank thee to be thy will. Amen. So that's exactly what First Peter is about. It's about surrendering to, to Nero, to Rome, to, you know, you, you're not going to be able to beat... Um, the government, the government is going to be corrupt and it's going to be crude and it's going to be rude and it's going to do whatever it wants to do. And um, the way to be, become victorious is to learn how to surrender, right? That's what Jesus did. Jesus is the only one who could have beat the government, right? He could have destroyed it all, but, but no, he surrendered to um, the will of the, of the people of the day. And here we are as a church, you know, here, the will of the people, there's so many things out there, right? I mean, we're dealing with, there's a lot of stuff that Christians, you know, I guess the world, we have to deal with. How do we win? How do we gain the victory in the eyes of God? Humility, submission. It's the opposite of what we would think, right? It's the opposite of what we've been taught. All of our lives, we've never been taught to do that. But when you read the Bible, here's the, First Peter, uh, you, you when you all studied at the beginning, it was uh, some of the background information, I believe, um, was brought out. It's almost in, it's in the heat of the persecution. Nero is, is just, I mean, he's bringing a strong and heavy persecution upon the church. Everyone's suffering, right? It's not just the church that is suffering, the world. Everyone's, everyone's suffering. In fact, everyone hated Rome. Rome was like this bully government. They were terrible. Um, and so... They set up client kingships and, and they told everyone what to do in their province and the whole world. And people hated them. And yet God comes along and says, but submit to them. Who wants to do that, right? But that's how you become victorious in the eyes of God. And so the church has to learn that, that submission, if you will, uh, that that new mindset, and so First Peter five goes into talks about the eldership in the beginning, the leadership in the lowest church, and and then it talks about how how all people in the church are supposed to be like Jesus, you know, washing feet, and every one of us in our our respective positions in the lowest church in the world, wherever it may be, we're all we're all leading people to Jesus, right? We're leading people to the chief shepherd. So, I'm going to jump all the way down to verse 6. 
Verse 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. And so it's the opposite, right? Instead, it was, you know, way back with the Nephilim in Genesis chapter 6, it was, you know, the strong and the mighty and the, and the powerful. And then as you continue through history, and now it's the government and they're bullies and they're strong and they're powerful. And then God says, but I want you to be humble. It's just the complete opposite. And it's so noticeable and it's so obvious. People go, you guys are different. That's exactly the point. We're different. And that's one of the things that makes us stand out, right? Verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all of your anxiety, where? On him, right? Not, not, not on, on him. He's the one. It's, it's that it's that mindset under the strict, strong, terrible persecution. You ought to bring all of that pressure that you're undergoing right now on Jesus. It's too much for a man to handle, right? He didn't say, even though it starts out with the, the elders, he didn't say bring it to the elders. He didn't say cast it on the elders, cast it on the deacons, cast it on your husbands, cast it on your wives, cast it on your family. He says, cast it on Jesus, right? Bring it to Jesus. He knows. How did Jesus handle the government? The complete opposite. He was humble. He didn't fight like he wasn't an insurrectionist. He was humble. And yet he was in complete and total control. Pretty amazing. Okay. Be of sober spirit and be on the alert for your adversary the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So we learned that in Job, right? Job was early Genesis. We learned that in Job. Satan's always running around, roaming around, trying to find someone to take advantage of, right? Lots of opportunities out there for evil, etc. And what are we supposed to do when it, when it comes to Satan, who's behind the government, who gave his power to the government? You know, Romans 13, Revelation 13, excuse me, talks about how Satan works and he works in the spirit world first, tries to bring in false doctrine. We'll get there in Second Peter. And then he uses the government. You know, how can I get the government? You know, I'm going to rile these people up. I'm going to take them outside of their Christian walk of faith. But you, Christians, be of sober spirit and be on the alert because Satan is prowling about like a... a this is a scary verse because it's... it's um, the, the construction of the Greek in this verse is um, it's Zaton Taina Katapia. And what that, what that is, it's, it's Satan is like a roaring lion, but he, when he catches you, he, he crunches you. Right? You ever heard of animal chew bone? That's what that verse is saying. He's like, you know, it's, it's pretty gruesome, but that's what Satan is, and that's who he is. And so we have this idea, this understanding of, okay, so Satan is gruesome and terrible and yes he's fierce but you don't have to fear him you fear jesus right and so that that anxiety that you're that you're going through that struggle that you're going through in life you give it you give it to jesus and allow jesus to help you to resist against satan right standing firm in what you know to be true right and so this is really important because what what's happening is 
Jesus hasn't come back yet. And we're somewhere in 64, 65 AD. Jesus died in 33 AD. And so there's 30 years of suffering and struggling that they're going through. And Jesus hasn't returned. And they're holding on to Jesus because he's coming back. But he hasn't come back yet. And he's going to destroy Rome, but he hasn't done it yet. And so they're becoming a little uh, weak, if you will, in their, in their walk of faith. And God is trying to call them to, to rethink or to look at things in a way that, that, um, that God sees them. So Second Peter, this letter comes right, almost right after this First Peter to remind them, well, remember how God counts days, right? Not like, not like we do, right? God is outside of time. So verse 9, but resist him firm in your faith. And this word knowing. So when we get to the word gnosis in, the, um, uh, in Second Peter, that Greek word, it's all about knowledge. We've got to talk about Gnosticism because there's something happening now in the church that we're going to look at in, in Second Peter. Knowing uh, that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So wherever you go in the church, wherever you go in the whole known world at that time, Christians are suffering, right? So why become a Christian? Think about that. Why? Well, remember, we're only we're we're not many days out, years out from Jesus and all the all the miraculous. That generation is still alive. They watch Jesus. They watch the miracles. So there isn't a a a um, a type of faith that we would have. Today, where we're looking out and we're saying we believe by faith because we haven't seen it. They were eyewitnesses to Jesus and the resurrection and, and all the things that went on in that day and in that hour. They saw it and they're raising children now and they're teaching their children and they're watching the apostles and the apostles are still performing miracles and they're watching other Christians and they're performing miracles. And so God is very much... Um, um, in the lives in a physical way, though we walk by faith and not by sight, right? But they're watching resurrections. They're watching miraculous healings, and they're seeing it before their eyes. And so it gives them this measure of faith and confidence in God. Why become a Christian? Well, because of what you've seen and what you've heard. Today, we, we would say we become a Christian because we believe by faith, right? We haven't seen the miraculous, and yet if we truly, truly open our eyes. We have, haven't we? Right? I mean, no one's laying hands on us, but you know God's working in your lives. You've seen it. Right? You, you know it. Okay, so the final encouragement, verses, uh, verses 10 and verse 11, and after you've suffered for, it's interesting he says that, for a little while. That's a, that's a scary verse to me because um, if they bring you at the stake two minutes, maybe, Right, 30, 30 seconds or 45 seconds, you go into shock. About a minute, you start almost all of your liquid, your fluids are depleted, and within two minutes, you're dead. It's just for a little while. That's a long time. <laughs> it's a long two minutes, right? If, you, if you're crucified. I mean, they can keep you up there for a few days. If you're in the battlefield, you're in the arena, and you're made to fight the lions barehanded. You're not going to win. It's not going to be long. It's going to be a little while. So this is in perspective of what they're going through, right? 
Just, and he says, it's just for a little while. Now, now, when you bring that into comparison to your life, and you think, okay, I've been on the earth for X number of years, and I'm only going to have to suffer for, I'm thinking of the crucifixion, two to three days at the most. But who wants that, right? Or maybe just a lion fight, or, or a fight against uh, a sword, or without a sword. It's not going to be long. Suffering is just for a little while. <laughs> okay? And then what? Well, then you get to go to heaven. Is it worth it to you? Right? And so, so this is the idea. They're saying, okay, it's worth it to be true to Christ and to remember Jesus on, on the cross. The God of all grace who called you to the eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So what if you don't die? Well, guess what? That's what God's going to do for you through suffering. Why become a Christian? <laughs> what a, I mean, think about that. Now. Why would a person, knowing that their life would be filled with struggle because of Jesus, become a Christian in this day? Knowing that Nero is, is hot on their, on their backs and Nero wants them all dead. And then later on, you're going to, you know, we're running, right, right, excuse me, uh, 88 or so, 90 AD, we get into Revelation and all the terrible things that that's, why become a Christian? Well, that's kind of the question this morning as we leave First Peter chapter 5. With all of this suffering, why become a Christian? And then the second part of that is, why become a Christian today? Any, any thoughts? Got to do that for them. You're going to suffer anyway, whether, whether you become a Christian or not. Right, so becoming a Christian, you have hope. Not being a Christian, you don't, but you're going to suffer anyway. So that's my thought anyway. Becoming a Christian, you have hope. Without being a Christian, you have no hope. Yep. We're going to suffer anyway. Well, let's see. Some of you are older than some of us. Um <laughs> Before you became Christians, were you, did you suffer in the world? <laughs> Mike's, yeah, <laughs> right, of course, right. Danny, you take, will you take it to Danny or what, what was that? By our, By our own making, yeah, right. We did it ourselves. We did it to ourselves. Didn't save, we? Sure. Save you a trip. Um, it's uh, you know a study of the concept of suffering, a biblical study helps you understand that it's not just suffering in general uh it's suffering for the way it's suffering for christ um which is different than just suffering uh and i think that that's important for us to understand uh so the question we have to ask ourselves is i'm a christian in name certainly uh but is there any aspect of my life in Christ that 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 I'm living for Christ um, that is causing suffering in my life? And I, I think it's it's very important for us in our study of the concept of suffering when we read the scriptures to see that that difference. So when you think of when we get into Second Peter and he brings up. Lot, that righteous man, um, suffered from by what he saw, 
and by what he heard. If we weren't Christians, we wouldn't suffer from what we see and what we hear, would we? Thank you. So, why do I want to suffer? Did you have a hand up? No? Okay. She's like, no. All right, sorry. I just wanted to pick on you for a second. <laughs> do, so, here we're adding then a purpose to our lives as a Christian. Right? So, it's suffering for a cause, but the right cause. It's suffering because of the Creator. And there was a, a, there's a reason to suffer. That's the greatest reason to suffer on the earth, to suffer for the Creator, to be counted, as the Apostle said in Acts 5, to be counted worthy to suffer for the name of God. That's powerful, right? And, like Mike said a moment ago, whether you're a Christian or not, you're going to suffer, right? We know that. So why become a Christian? Well, the right thing to do, isn't it? It's actually the only thing to do. Because all of us are going to do one thing, and what's that? Die. Right? You gotta die right before your creator, right? So so first Peter five is all about is all about suffering and how to suffer and staying faithful and staying true to God. And now Second Peter is about false teachers who are telling you to give up. See, there's, so these false teachers are coming along and they're saying, you know, there's no real reason to suffer because, oh, turn that one off. Because, you know, Jesus really didn't die. I mean, think about that for a minute. You know, how, how can you kill God, right? So Gnosticism, right? These Gnostics, people with great knowledge, superior knowledge, so they, so they thought. They come along and they're, and they're denying that Jesus Christ actually died on the cross. And they, and they also say um, that they have this superior knowledge that came from God, right? So First John really gets into that. Second Peter gets into that. Um, but First John, really, you know, what we've handled, what we've seen, what we've touched, we've seen him with our own eyes. Don't tell me Jesus didn't exist. We were with him, right? That's what First John really starts out with and um, begins to discuss. But knowledge is superior. Now watch, watch how mankind thinks. Knowledge is superior to the flesh. So as long as you have gnosis, you have this superior knowledge, the flesh no longer matters. Ah. Now watch where this is going. This is where it's going. And this is what the teaching was. So, you can go down to the brothels, the house of prostitution, the temple of Diana. You can hang out down there. Your flesh is there but your mind is at home with your wife. Gnosticism, right? Come on, Christians, you can get, you know, do that, right? And you know, some Christians were believing that because the flesh really doesn't matter. So, so they, they may have, uh, you think about Jesus, there was even a, a teaching out there with, so Gnosticism and Docetism, and it was like they, they switched the body of Jesus before he died. Does that make any sense? 
He's nailed to the cross. I mean, what, what they do? Pry the nails out, take them down, put another body up, and then Jesus walked off. That's the idea. When would you have... When, it doesn't make any sense. But this is what was being brought into the church, that the reason that God hasn't come back yet is because, well, all that you know and understand about Jesus and what happened and what he said isn't really what he meant. So Peter writes to the church, Second Peter chapter 1, and he gets right into this, this understanding that, okay, You've had your guard up. You've done a great job of fighting the good fight of faith. Um, you're, you're doing well. I mean, you, you're, you're, you're resisting the devil, and you're, you're dealing with the physical persecution, but your minds are so focused on the physical persecution and staying true to Jesus that you're, that you're slipping on the other side, and you're allowing false teachers to come in and begin to destroy the church, Right? So you, you have to, it's this battle, you know, it's like Satan will come through the open door and the, the front door was locked, tight, closed, and, and maybe the back door was locked and tightly closed, but Satan came through the window, right? They weren't prepared for this false teaching, like what, what's going on? No, we're teaching Jesus Christ crucified. And so here's what Peter begins to say in Second Peter 1, beginning at verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. What is he first? Yeah. You see, right back to the same letter, right? First Peter chapter 1. Don't forget, guys. Um, we're, we're servants, right? We're humble servants first. So he says, look, a bondservant. Yeah, I'm an apostle, but I'm a bondservant. I'm in humility just like you, right? So Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have received a faith of the same kind. How powerful is that? Of the same kind as ours. So, so what kind of faith did Peter receive? Well, he walked with Jesus, right? So he got to see it all and know it all, right? And you have the same kind of faith, right? There's nothing new. There's, there's no, there are no secrets, right? It's the same faith. The church is just as strong today as it was when Jesus was here. Right, we, we apostles are still here. Right, the miracles that you are witnessing—it's the same stuff. Right, you received the same faith that we have received. It's the same. Right, that was the encouragement to them that this this idea of of you know Gnosticism and you know this new teaching. There is no new teaching. It's the same stuff. Right, you're doing great. Hang in there. It doesn't change. God changes not, right? The message was delivered once for all. Jude comes along and he'll say, hey, it was only one time. It was given one time. Jude verse 3. One time for all. One time. It's the same faith. Don't believe Gnosticism, right? And so think about in our, in our day, how many times you've seen um, or, or we witnessed maybe new, new ideas right? You know, coming up in the church, right? Uh, new, new streams of, of, of ideas, of, of knowledge, of how we should be looking at this text as opposed to, you know, this way. You know, the new hermeneutic. Well, you've heard that before, right? Going through college and you start learning this new hermeneutic and what's wrong with it and what's bad about it and, and, and why it's, it's new and it's not good. And this is where most of the 
denominational world gets their their ideas of the word of God from is from this new hermeneutic where the new the old hermeneutic teaches um, I guess I'll tell you what that is huh? um, so there are four ways we learn uh, from the scriptures we learn from a command we learn from a direct statement a necessary inference or an approved example that's how you learn the Bible from those four things so you you look in there and you and that way you don't have any contradictions the new hermeneutic says well no, because the Bible is alive, so it changes, right? So things that may have been sure then are a little bit different now, right? So we look at things now in the, in the Bible, First Peter, which we just finished that. Um, it's about suffering for Jesus. But now, you know, we don't really have to. It's more about you, your you know, megachurches. It's all about you and your happiness, right? How can we make you happy? You're the best. It's almost like you don't need God, but you really do need God. It's all about your exaltation, right? Say, I want to go to church to feel good. Okay, I get that, but what if you read the Bible and it's talking about your life and, and you're living in sin? You're not supposed to feel that great. You're supposed to repent, right, when you hear the message of God. No, we're not going to preach those kinds of sermons. We're going to, in fact, those are kind of now, they're like hate sermons, right? You know, old fire. You don't want, we don't want to hear that. Read the Bible. Wait till we get to Jude. You want to hear a sermon? And you go, ooh, don't preach that one. Jude is like, you, you people are like, you're, I mean, listen to Jesus. <laughs> listen to what he preached. He didn't preach love, love, love. In fact, here's a good question to ask. What verse in the Bible can you read where Jesus and his teaching? So let's say it's the red letters, the red stuff, right? Someone told me, I only listen to the red letters. Like, well... The red letters said, listen to the rest of the black letters too, right? Is there one time in the Bible where Jesus said, I love you? In your red letters. Think about that. I'll let you think about that for a while. <laughs> one verse where Jesus says, I love you. So, anyway, we'll leave that. You think about it a little bit. Um, so, we received a like faith, right? This like faith faith where God still has these, you know, there's still commandments that we have to abide by and there, there are still rules that we have to follow and, and, and you know, we've got to do what Jesus says to do and we have to be like Jesus and even through all of this suffering, you've got to be like Jesus and Jesus is going to tell you in Second Peter, again the question you know, why become a Christian? God allows us to take on some like God-like traits what? Yeah. God-like traits. If you do these things, you'll be like God. We'll get there in a moment in Second Peter. He's reminding them that this is the power that is in Jesus, the power that is in our living God. So, continuing, verse 1, uh, receive the faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Right back to Jesus. Don't forget Jesus Jesus, Jesus, right? And then he goes into grace. Well, how are we going to get this grace? Grace and peace be multiplied to you, right? Grace and peace be multiplied to you in what? Knowledge. Gnosis, right? Not that new stuff you're hearing. No, 
in the knowledge that Jesus taught and the knowledge that we, the apostles, are teaching and those who are, if you will, our students and have even miraculous gifts that confirm the Word. Right, Hebrews 2 and verse 4 tells us that the Word of God is confirmed by the miracle. So it, the confirmation of how do you know then this guy who has this superior knowledge, how do you know if he's from God versus this other guy over here who just has godly knowledge? Well, the miracle is confirmed that what the man is saying that comes from the Bible or comes from God is true. And the man over here is just making stuff up, right? Knowledge, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So Peter's going to emphasize knowledge so many times you can't miss it, right? He's going to say it over and over and over again. It's not just fighting the physical fight of faith. It's knowledge. And you know what happens when you have the knowledge? No one can take it from you. Once you have that knowledge of God, no one can take it away. Nero, Domitian later, is going to uh, say, hey, tell, if you will just sprinkle a little ash and just call me the Lord God, I'll let you live. But they have this knowledge, there's only one God, and it's not you. Right? Can't take that from you. This, this knowledge reminds us of and brings us to God's, God's grace and God's peace. And so what has God done with this idea of knowledge? What has, he, what has He done? He's given us a peace of divinity. He's given us a peace of Him through knowledge. Right? He let us know things that we would never have known if God, the Creator, had not revealed it. And you know it. You know things. You ever, have you ever stood with the, the world and, and just kind of mentioned, oh, well, you know, the Bible says, and they go, that's in the Bible? Really? I never heard that before. I never even knew that. I mean, it's like, wow, I have a peace of God in me. Right? What a what great joy that is. So listen to what it says in verse 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us some things, Pertaining to, is that what your version says? A couple of things? No. Everything pertaining to. Everything. How many of us believe that? Everything. God has given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. Everything. Well, then, why don't I know as much as I should know or think I can? Got to study everything. What do you want to know about? It's all there. It's either there in principle or specific, but it's there. Right? Genesis to Revelation, it's there. Everything. Everything. Every single thing pertaining to life and godliness. And that's fun to do with the kids. The fifth graders. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, what about this? I remember I had someone say, well, the Bible doesn't teach math. Okay, well, here's my question to you. If the Bible does teach math, will you surrender to Jesus <laughs> before I was a baptism? I mean, is that what's holding you back? <laughs> yep. Okay. 
Put a lesson together on, the, on math in the Bible. It's all there. Everything's in there. It's all there, right? Every question that we have an answer to, it's there. Yeah, either in principle or specific, but it's there. Why become a Christian? Because I want to taste that. I want God's grace. I want God's mercy. I want, and how is that possible to have grace and mercy when the Romans are threatening you? Think about what happens when you were growing up. Maybe this has never happened to you, so I'll talk about me. So I'm about to get into trouble for something I did. And someone says, oh, I'm going to tell your mom and dad. They already know I do this anyway. It's no big deal. You may, you may not have done that. <laughs> but it worked. Guess what? They never told. You know why? I removed their power. If my mom and dad already knows, there's no one to tell. I can't possibly get into trouble. Little, I was a little devious. Anyway, think about this now. We're going to take your life. And you say, you can't. My life already belongs to God. Take it. How much power does Rome have over you now? We're going to kill you. Okay. Give up the faith. Mm, no, nah, not going to do that. Okay, if, if you guys don't stop preaching, we're going we're gonna to persecute you. Oh, thank God for that. That'd be great. You take their... So think about Peter and the apostles when they were like, we gave you strict orders. We read this last week or two weeks ago, Acts 5, 29, I think, somewhere around there. We gave you strict orders to no longer preach in the name of Jesus. Oh, God, thank you for counting us worthy to suffer in your name. Hey, it's either listening to you or God. What do you think? Well, we you know we can't say we can't say us because we're supposed to be Jews. <laughs> we follow God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Supposedly, they had no answer. Right? So when the Roman soldiers come up and they ask you if you're a Christian, and you say yes, I am a Christian, and they say you do know it's an illegal religion. Well, by the standard of mankind, it is, but not by the divine order of the Creator. You do know we're going we're gonna to cut your head off, right? Yes, I do know that. But I'll get my head back. What? What do you mean you'll get it back? Oh, yeah, see, Revelation chapter 6, the, the beheaded saints, they were talking. Yeah, it's okay, go ahead. What? Power. That's the power of knowledge. You know, that's the power of knowledge. The power of knowledge is, is that, that in Christ you stay faithful and true regardless of what the world looks like. Because you know and believe that God is in complete and total control. Right? Is he? Knowledge from the Bible says, yes, he is. You know what the world says? No, he's not. You've heard things like, the world is spinning out of control. The world's always been out of control. (laughs) It's not new. You know why it's new to us? Because this is the era in which we're living. How bad was Genesis chapter 5 in that time frame? I mean, God destroyed the whole world, right? Killed everybody except for eight souls who surrendered to him. How bad must the world have been at that time? (laughs) And then 2 Timothy 3 says, oh, by the way, it's going to get worse. Evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. So, how many times did you hear your grandparents, and I I didn't because I didn't grow up in the church, but... Um, I've heard parents say to me, you know how many times we heard our grandparents saying, 
there's a sign of the times. This has got to be the end because look at how evil it is. And now we're saying the same, the same thing generation after generation after generation after. It's just the fulfillment of the Bible. God says, look, a life without me is terrible. I mean, right? The ruthlessness that we see, the, the division, the wickedness, it's all Satan. And if you want a really good picture of how bad, how ruthless, how terrible, wicked and evil Satan is, just look at Job. Just read the first two chapters. How could you, who would do that to a man? Not Satan. So, I mean, we're not exempt, are we? So why would we expect it to be any different? So we have to hold our heads up high, right, because of the knowledge that we have that God is in complete and total control. And as the world is out of control and has always been out of control, only God could be patient and let us live. Think about that. Why, why are we here today? Why are we alive today? Because God's given everybody another chance. Well, no, no, we're going to keep trying to save those folks. Well, wait a minute, God. These people deserve to die. Well, wait a minute. You're not God. No, they don't. Well, what should I do? Go, go teach them. But I don't want to. I know that's the problem. Right? The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. So maybe there are more laborers. We get this done. <laughs> but there aren't enough laborers. See? And so, so Peter's dealing with this gnosis, this idea. They're coming in the church. Members are coming in the church. And again, when, we, when you read Jude and we get into Second uh, Peter chapter 2, we're going to see more of this. But this divine power that God has given us, verse 3 again, seeing that this divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. But by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Now, Peter, First Peter and Second Peter, Peter does a great job of saying, you folks are precious to God. I mean, it's great. You read Peter. You just read Peter with that understanding of, you know, John wrote about love and he, he really understood it and he got it. And Peter comes in and Peter says, you folks are so precious. You're, you're not only precious to God, God gave you a precious blessing and you have the precious word and everything about God for us and us to God is, is precious. You know, we're these precious little children. God loves us. As you know, we're suffering. Yep, my precious child. Is, I'm just going to... And he's so, he's so there for us, right? Peter wants us to understand that this is a unique faith, right? This is different from everything else that the world experiences not only is this unique but this is this is precious and you and i we've been given these promises but they're not just they're not just promises they're precious right i mean how precious is heaven to you right think about that how how amazing is that that you know you live and even if you die you live it's like wait and then jesus says you haven't lived yet you don't know what it's like to live wait till you get here you go what what where? Heaven. If it weren't so, I would have told you. Oh, wait, what are you talking about? Life after death. Wait, what do you mean? Yeah, you, don't worry about it. Stay true. You'll see. You, you know how the Bible doesn't really describe heaven? I mean, it tries to give us little pieces of it. You know why God doesn't describe heaven? <laughs> we couldn't, he couldn't get it. 
we, we wouldn't understand it. What did Paul say? He said, the apostles said, when I was, you know, as a man in the body, out of the body, I don't know. And he talks about this. They even use a language that we can't even utter. What, what kind of language? I mean, Spanish? I mean, what, <laughs> what kind of language is that, right? This heavenly language and the seraphim and the cherubim are, and those are the lower, lesser, if you will. And you think, you go, you see God and you go, ooh. I mean, just, it is going to be amazing. You ready for it? That's the knowledge that Peter's giving us and wanting us to hold on to. You have this precious faith that is not worth giving up. Even, even the sword should not walk you, walk you away from Jesus. This is so magnificent. The other word that he uses there is that this magnificent uh, faith. But these, by these, he granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. In order that, by them, you might become partakers of, and there it is, the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So what are we talking about? The Temple of Diana? Gnosis, Gnosticism. You can go there, guys. It's okay. Let's, there's only two things important, sex and money. Let's go after it. Peter says, no. No, no, no. The divine nature is beyond lust. That's where you are. Right? Don't you want that? You see? You see what Peter's doing? He's steering their mind. In fact, he's going to say that. He's steering their minds up, reminding them of what it was like to, to walk with Jesus. What was that like in purity to see Jesus? And I mean, he was perfect and he was kind and gentle and loving and patient and generous. And he was everything you could ever imagine. And and things we've never imagined before. And, and, and he walked. And they walked with him and they were like, he was, he's great, he's so amazing, and he's so nice, and he's so, he's just, wow, God is, a, wait, oh yeah, he's God. Wow, right? It was, it's the wow moment in life. That's why you got to get to know God because that's the wow moment in life where you say, okay, okay, God, I, I can do this. And you have to remind yourself when you're standing in front of Nero, his soldiers, and they're ready to pierce you to say, I'm going to hold on to my wow moment. You can take my physical body, but you cannot take my soul. Yeah, I'm going to hold on to Jesus. So it makes you hold on. Remember, they're in the midst of one of the fiercest persecutions against God's people in history. And they're holding true. And they're baptizing people. Right? Why become a Christian? If you're not enthusiastic about Living for Jesus, yeah, you might die, but you're still with Jesus. If you're not enthusiastic about that today, how are you going to convert someone to Christ? Right? So think about it. in that day, if they weren't saying, die, we're not even thinking about dying. Yeah, but you know the Romans could come in here and kill us any moment. Yeah, but that's okay. We just get to go home earlier. What's your point? Don't you realize we have this precious, magnificent promise? What, what are you talking? Let's talk about it. And that's, what, that's what's happening in Second Peter, he's bringing them to this knowledge and saying, you got to fight against the false knowledge that's causing you to walk away from Jesus. you got to fight. You have to look back at what you know and what you understand and what you, what you have confirmed in your heart and in your mind. You've got to go back to that and you got to hold on to Jesus because this is true. And you are witnesses. We are witnesses. And here's what's interesting about the letter. Peter knows something. 
Nero is about to kill him. He's in prison, and he's about to die. And he writes this letter. Think about this. So he's not just talking fluff. He's saying, I'm about to die. Okay, look, hold on to Jesus. It's okay. We're good. It's fine. This is the physical stuff, church. We live for the spiritual, not the physical. So that's the point. And he's saying, I want you to be a part of this divine nature that God has given to us. And then he goes into those seven you know, steps of moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and Christian love, verses 5 through 7. And if you've got these qualities, right, you can hold on to Jesus. All right, our time is up. Thank you so very much. We'll come back and finish um, and just keep going through this. I really appreciate your time today and your smiles and encouragement. Appreciate it. And your comments.